Okay. Welcome in to Free Skates Friday of the DNVR Avalanche Podcast, presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. I'm your host, Rudo, joined by AJ, as always, and our special guest, beat writer for the Winnipeg Jets, I believe, at The Athletic, Barat Atesh. I probably butchered your name, even though I've been trying all week to get it correct. Hopefully I got close, but thank you for joining us, and how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. It was a great shot. Uh, it's Marat Atesh, Marat, and Marat, the fact that right. you got the last name right in of itself is an impressive feat, so thank you for it. <laughs> Half right isn't bad for me. We'll take it. We'll take it where I can get it. Uh, let's just jump right in, first of all. Obviously, the Jets just missed out on the round-robin games they were coming for Dallas at the end of the season. Do you feel a little bit gypped? Um, in terms of Winnipeg sort of missing the cutoff or what have you, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I think that they des- they finished in an area where they deserve to because their you know their five on five metrics weren't really very good. They spent a ton of time in their own zone this year, and everybody knows they have a ton of offensive uh, a ton of offensive talent. And Shifley, Line, Connor, Wheeler, Nick Ehlers is one of the league's most underrated players. Um, and nobody talks about him. He's scored at a 30 goal pace a couple of times already. So in terms of how disappointing they were offensively, not to really generate, I mean, we, we talked just before we went on about the defense being an issue. Connor Hellbuck had a ton of work to do. It all averages out that, you know, I think that they were a bubble team and, and, and they are fine to, to be in the mix in the play in mix. Right. And now they're headed to a literal bubble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. So, I, you kind of beat me to the punch here. This is a question we ask all of our guests. And you said Nikolai Ehler is one of the most underrated players in the league. I You can take him as your underrated, but we want an overrated player from the Jets as well. Wow, that's a, that's a tough one to roll with because I think league-wide, I don't know that the world knows how good Kyle Connor is as an offensive talent. There is nobody from the top of the circles in on the Winnipeg Jets who I would rather have the puck Uh, If you're looking to finish off a play, his brain moves so quickly. His hands move so quickly. He has, um, he he has an incredible offensive skill set. but at the same time within Winnipeg circles, I think that he's surpassed Shifley and Line among reputation in terms of offensive powerhouses. He's not a particularly strong defensive player. Um, There are some things about his game that like he gets maximum power play time, even strength time, all kinds of minutes. I think that he's begun to be, uh, overrated by a by a local crowd uh, who are suddenly putting them above Patrick Liney as a goal scorer and above Ka- uh, Mark Shifley as a playmaker. I don't think he's there yet. He's just a gifted uh, offensive threat from the hash marks. All right, I like the answer. I'm uh, I'm curious about just this is because he's been one of my favorite prospects from afar for a while. But what what has happened with Roslovic there that just has not quite translated or worked? Well, first and foremost, I think it's a it's a question of opportunity. Uh, he gets buried. I mean, I talk about Nick Ehlers as a guy buried on the second line that nobody really recognizes how good he is in terms of how he can drive play and generate offense. 
Um, Jack Rosovic has played largely fourth line minutes for most of his career. Uh, this season, he got more opportunity than that. And he actually played with Blake Wheeler and Nick Ehlers on the Jets' second line. Uh, with Brian Little hurt, Blake Wheeler became a second line center. He had Ehlers and Rosovic on either side. That was a high skill, high octane line, and Rosovic's best opportunity of his career, to be sure. Uh, but you look at most of the rest of it, and fourth line isn't an exaggeration in terms of his minutes and opportunity. Winnipeg's often been so deep, uh, whether Brian Little was healthy, uh, Rosovic wasn't quite ready to usurp him from the second line center role. When, Kev, uh, when Kevin Hayes was traded for, or Paul Stastny, that bumps Rosovic down even more. So he hasn't necessarily had that. Now, is he going to be able to take it when he gets it? That's going to be the, the question. I think he's going to have to do a little bit of adaptation because he came up through the U.S. program, scoring a ton of points. He, uh, he played with Austin Matthews and, uh, and Matthew Kachuk, I believe, on the same line with the U.S. NDTV program. He sees himself as a scorer. He still has all of those hands. But at the NHL level right now, where he's lined up for in the playoffs, he's going to be playing with Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry on Winnipeg's third line in a checking capacity. He's going to need to be a two-way winger before he gets that opportunity to play center or to be in a more prime offensive uh, place. And I don't think, even if he's best suited as, you know, a high-end winger on a, on a top line down the road, I don't think he's going to get that chance until he proves that he can knock it out of the park at the lower levels that he's getting so far. It's it's kind of a strange place for a young player to be in because Colorado finds themselves in a similar spot with a guy like Tyson Jost, where the skill level, you think, would dictate a top-six role, but they're just too deep, they're too talented, so he has to adapt on the fly. It's it's kind of a tough ask to ask a guy to be a different guy than he always has been in order to prove that he deserves a chance to be who he's always been. You know, like it's you hey, we need you to change in order to in order to prove that you deserve a bigger role to do the things you've always done well. It's it's one of those weird things in the NHL where we see it a lot with young players who don't just smash the door down and immediately get that top six opportunity because the team is good or they have a slow start to their career or whatever the reason may be. And then, you know, we saw a guy like Sam Bennett in Calgary. It was a great example of this too, where it just, it just never really happened. And then that guy had to figure it out and he's turned himself into a quality bottom six guy now, but not everybody can adapt to that. So it's, it's one of those interesting things about some of the deeper teams at forward where you see these situations crop up with some uh, of these guys. And I think a lot of the metrics support, you know, aging curves support promoting these guys younger in their careers than maybe once upon a time we were all raised on believing, you know, a peak came between, you know, 28 and 32 once upon a time. Then it was a uh, high 20s. And now there are folks who believe that it's in, in low mid 20s in terms of a player's peak. And so you might miss like getting the maximum out of these guys if you do sort of stepwise them up in that way. With Roslovic, he has the ability, though, to be a two-way impact player. When he plays wing, he sees the ice very well. It's a simple up and down uh, the his lane game, and he tracks back. He has the hustle. He has the 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 commitment to to track back and make a stick check on somebody. And then I think so far, when we've seen him at center or in a in a premier position, the game's moving a little bit too quick for him yet. He's a little bit also in picture on some of his defensive assignments as a center. So I'm trying to balance the idea that, hey, a lot of these guys probably should be promoted before they are with, you know, my eyes don't tell me that he's ready to say, become Winnipeg's yeah. second line center at somebody else's expense at this stage. Well, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Brian Little not going to be a part of this for the Jets, correct? 
That's right. Absolutely. Cody Eakin's got that spot right now. So I see how's that, that going to go? I see that smile. <laughs> Cody, I mean, Cody Eakin, not that long ago, Cody Eakin was, you could make an argument a, about that caliber of a player. Uh, but it's it's been a couple of injuries ago now. And is Cody, can, can Cody Eakin get back to that level? Well, I don't think he's the same offensive player that had a career year with Vegas a couple years back. You know, I, I think that a lot of the things that went into that were percentage driven. I mean, when a guy more or less doubles his shooting percentage in one year, mm-hmm. doesn't raise the shot volume, he's not dominating the flow of play. Um, and all of a sudden his point totals go up. Well, something else is going on there. And if you can't repeat that for a couple of seasons, maybe you shouldn't bank on it. The interesting thing that happened when he arrived in Winnipeg, he played eight games, uh, he scored five points. And so now the city of Winnipeg is looking to him to be, you know, an impact offensive player like, you know, Brian Little would have been at his peak or other players have been in that role. But if you if you go through the video and you go point by point, play by play, there's an assist he gets on a on a Nick Ehlers goal where the goaltender, Braden Holtby, thought he had the puck covered. He lifted his glove and there's just this, a gimme sitting there. There's a brilliant kick play from Ehlers. There's a lucky bounce. There's like if you go video by video uh, of these points again, I think we're being misled into thinking that he can be a, a top offensive player and an impact one in the playoffs. At the same time, I don't want to take away from this idea that, you know, he can be the the, the speedy hustle guy on that line. And Nick Ehlers mm-hmm. and Patrick Laine, I actually would say, are so far ahead of who they were two years ago when they were on either side of Brian Little or then Paul Stastny when he arrived in time for the playoffs. They're so much further ahead in terms of their ability to impact where the game gets played as well as their offensive skills that, no, Cody Eakin isn't a, isn't a plus at two center compared to other, you know, Western Conference or Eastern Conference playoff teams. Uh, you might get mileage out of that line, especially if you can shelter them and use the Lowry line as a, as a tough minutes along with Shifley's. You might be able to get mileage out of them just based on who those young wingers have become. All right. Uh, we have a question from the DNVR Lounge here for you. Our local Winnipegger, Luke from Winnipeg, wants to know a little bit more about Christian Veselainen and, and the expectations for him in Winnipeg after it was a 30-point AHL season this year, I believe. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to see a guy who came that highly touted, was a first-round pick, managed to score at an impressive level in Liga. He's had impressive offensive performances at multiple leagues before this season, and then all of a sudden it looks like he's flatlining at half a point per game, and okay, what's going on there? I think the thing to remember is that while acknowledging, no, he's not knocking on the door of an NHL job right now, and no, there's... I don't see the benefit to him being part of the play-in mix right now. He's not going to step into the playoff lineup or anything to that effect. Um, at the same time, he is a relatively young player. He's still an exceptionally young player uh, for his draft class and for prospect status as well. Um, this was his first full season in North America. He definitely had issues adjusting to the lanes that he took and the size of the ice um, after kind of a convoluted travel-filled year last year. Um, so what I would look for from Christian Veselainen is – something approaching a point per game in a premier offensive AHL role in his next season. If he can get back into that range, you might project him again to have a top six NHL future. If he's sort of middling or plugging in and along um, something closer to what he did this year and he keeps that up for too many years, then you start to wonder how he's going to fit and whether he's actually going to be able to turn his speed, shot, and, uh, and size into an NHL job. To wrap that up, I'm still optimistic. I think give him at least one full year in North America at his age, he'll figure out a way to score and put pucks in the net. With a guy like Veselainen, um, does that does that give them 
you know, a, and a guy like I guess to a lesser extent Rosalvik, where maybe two two young guys that could take bigger jobs in the future. Um, is is that how they want to try and fix the defense in the offseason? Is that they've got plenty of of high end forwards that they could pick from? You try and maybe move one of those guys out, and then you move. You know, you can not necessarily replace them at the same level, certainly right away, but you hope that Veselainen could replace a guy like Nick Ehlers in two or three years. Uh, and then, you know, you use Ehlers or somebody else. I mean, it doesn't have to be Ehlers, but one of these other forwards that they have as a trade piece to try and try and balance the roster a little bit, because right now it's a pretty, it's pretty, pretty imbalanced to the top heavy at the forward position. Well, I 100% agree with the concept that the Winnipeg Jets are imbalanced, not only in the fact that they're top-heavy in terms of forwards, but even the skill set among their forwards. You might like a a two-way capable version of, you know, Kyle Connor is an offense-first player. Patrick Laine is an offense-first player. Nick Ehlers is a effective play driver, but that's because he skates so well and he generates offensive zone time through his wheels. He's not a dominant player in terms of backchecking in his own zone. Uh, Mark Shifley is one of the world's best offensive players. He's not Sean Couturier in his defensive end. Um, there are a lot of offense-first forwards, even amongst the Winnipeg Jets forward group, which is top-heavy, and there aren't a lot of de- defensemen in Winnipeg right now. Um, I don't think that Veselainen's ceiling is, is Ehlers high. So if that's if that's the contingency plan, I don't think Winnipeg has quite the backfill of somebody at uh, Ehlers, Connor, or Line's ilk. Um, does that mean, though, like they're still top-heavy? Does that still mean that they might not uh, shop an Ehlers or uh, to a lesser degree a Roslovic to sort of go look for that patchwork? I think that that is an angle that they've approached in the past. There's a lot of smoke around some Ehlers rumors for a defenseman last summer which I think Winnipeg will be pleased with themselves that they kept him for what turned out to be a breakout season this year. Um, now I begin to wonder if Jack Roslovic will end up being an odd man out at some point that becomes a part of a package for somebody to round out the top four where you have Josh Morrissey, Dylan DeMello. Dylan DeMello's a UFA this summer or this fall, whenever these things happen these days. And, uh, and Neil Pionk, three men you can count on. Winnipeg needs a fourth to be sure and how they get there. Um, that's going to be a mystery, I think, to me. And, and maybe the idea of a forward for a D is the answer. All right. Last question of the first period here. Who is the Jets' game changer for these playoffs, and why is it Connor Hellebuck? <laughs> uh, well, he had the best season in the NHL this year. I don't think there's any doubt in the world that he's going to be the Vezina Trophy winner when those get announced. Um, no one stopped more shots. Nobody stopped more shot quality. Nobody had better goals saved above expectation numbers. And you just watch the Winnipeg Jets with your eyes this year. They spent so much time in their own zone, so much time. And it wasn't all controlled, composed time in their own zone either. There were giveaways. There were breakdowns. I think it's seven of ten regularly used defensemen made a million or less. There were waiver wire pickups. This team was stitched together. Bufflin's absence, the UFA departures last summer, injuries throughout the year. And then people who played through injuries and didn't always necessarily play very well. He had a tough a tough, a tough job to do. And he kept Winnipeg in it uh, to this point. And now all of a sudden you add a balanced roster or something closer to it with the Dylan DeMello acquisition and Connor Hellebuck having maybe something approaching an average workload instead of something ridiculous. Yeah, he has the ability to be a difference maker and win a series or steal one that Winnipeg shouldn't otherwise uh, shouldn't otherwise take. 
All right. Well, there you go. Connor Hellebuck, the StravaCraft coffee game changer for the Winnipeg Jets. StravaCraft is the rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-Cups for your Keurig, also whole bean or ground as well. And you can get 20% off when you use code DNVR20 at checkout. The CBD is not psychoactive and it's been known to help many aches and pains. So give it a try today. And of course, if you're pouring one out for Connor Hellebuck and the struggling goalies with no defense in front of them, go to Brecken Ridge Brewery to pick up your beer from the farmhouse down in Littleton. You can get $5 off there as well when you order for curbside pickup and use code DNVR. And of course, support them by getting the Avalanche Amber, the Mile High City, the Agave Wheat, you name it, any one of their amazing beers. Or you can always get it on tap down at the DNVR bar. Opening day today, we're already full for that. That has filled up entirely on RSVPs. So if you come down today, you might not be able to get in. But be sure to sign up for our next watch party as they should be coming quick and often very soon. Second, uh, a week away from the abs. Yeah, indeed. A week away from proper hockey games happening at the DNVR bar. So I cannot oh. wait for that. <laughs> so Second ready. period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. There was a certain tweet that you made couple weeks ago now but it has to do with the calder trophy and i won adam fox and i am i am curious what your argument is for having adam fox just as high as you do here so let me hear it well adam fox did not have quite the offensive season as the as the two much more famous defense defensive prospects ahead of him uh you might you may have heard of one of them but the other one when <laughs> he was um all hail kale i'm just reading this for the first time i've just been reading all hail for most of this. yeah i had to get, get up into the shop a little bit <laughs> um for me the, the 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 reason the case for adam fox is the fact that not only did he have most of a great offensive season um but he also had an impact on it on a very difficult and damaged New York Rangers defense core. Um, he had a positive impact uh, measurably on flow of play metrics. And not only was this young player able to generate uh, a, a huge amount of offense, though not Kale McCarr levels of offense. I need to offer that caveat so you guys have me back someday. Um, but he was able to uh, to take a, a situation that a lot of defense defenders have struggled in over recent years. Um, the, the New York Rangers defensive system, their, their poor transition defense. Um, Jacob Truba struggled in a big way this year. Neil Pionk last year struggled in a big way and was a top four defenseman with success in Winnipeg right now. I think that we underestimate collectively just how difficult the job of a defender in New York has been over the last couple of seasons. Um, and with Fox, he's been able to take a little piece of that and make it better, which for a young player, though not as young as some of the guys he's up against, is a remarkable achievement. And I think that the his impact on the game, point totals aside, may be uh, at or even above the level of the of the higher, uh, more highly touted defensive guys who are, are are going to win the award. So you're not worried about the the sheltering. I don't necessarily put too much weight in that. I mean, quality of teammates is more important than in terms of an analytical impact than quality of opposition or zone starts for, uh, for an example. You really have to get to the extremes uh, of quality of competition and zone starts before they begin to have the same impact as quality of team. And I don't rate, uh, I mean, 
minutes with Artemi Panarin are never a bad thing, but I don't really rate a lot of the Rangers in the same capacity that I do as the Avalanche, to be sure, um, but also the Canucks to a lesser degree. Okay. It just seems uh, my, because my, where I struggled with Fox this year was that the underlings are all great. Um, if you look at basically anybody, uh, any any model or any of that stuff, Fox has been exceptional this season. Um, the offense hasn't been quite at the same level. He just doesn't quite play as much as guys like McCarr and Hughes. And, you know, that's that's fine. Like, that's not on him. That's coaching. But I, I, I struggled with the fact that he was clearly not a top pairing guy for them. And it just different opportunities, right? Like he, he's feasting on, he's, he's excelling in just a different situation. Whereas, uh, you know, Fox is, Fox is not, he's also not playing with all of the Rangers top players. He's not playing against the top guys on the other team either. Not that Makar is getting hard matched against those dudes, you know, because he wasn't, certainly. Um, zone starts I don't worry about because that stuff, like most of the shifts started in the neutral zone anyway, um, on the fly. And it's like where a guy starts in a face-off, it's, it's just not that big of a deal for me. Um, but I did, I did find that, that tweet interesting, and we wanted to make sure that we, we brought that up on the show today. I mean, it seems like kind of two opposing arguments here, right? In the past, AJ, you've argued <clears throat> Kale McCarr makes a very good team great. And yeah. the argument here for Fox seems to be he makes an okay team significantly better. He, I mean, he's, to be honest, he was their best defenseman this year. Uh, and that's not saying a lot because the Rangers defense also not great. <laughs> but like, like when you're beating out like Ryan Lindgren to be the best defenseman, woo. But they brought in Jacob Truba to be the man, and he really struggled this year. Adam Fox outplayed him quite a bit, and but Truba's like in Fox's way, like directly in his way to being the top guy in the same way that Truba got blocked in Winnipeg behind Bufflin. You know, sometimes you just have the big roadblock, right? Like, that's how it goes. Is that is Winnipeg celebrating that trade big W all the way around with the way Pionk has played? <laughs> I think the fan base uh, absolutely adores that trade at this stage, and um, I think the mess in New York has maybe undersold what Truba actually is as a player at this stage. Um, I, I think he'll rebound or or at least be able to improve upon his first season there. But right now, you look at point totals, you look at the impact that each player had. Um, and yeah, I think it's easy. And then you add Ville Hainala, who's Winnipeg's top defensive prospect. He's got a bright future ahead of him. Ahead of him. And I think that you know all of that trepidation from about a year ago at this time is gone. Winnipeg's feeling awfully good about that for sure. Also, you're, bu- you're buying Neil Pionk as real, huh? Um, yeah, I am buying him as a top four defenseman. Uh, he was essentially Winnipeg's number one defenseman this season in terms of his minutes, in terms of his power play production as well. Um, and in terms of how much they leaned on him in in, uh, in a matchup capacity, because Josh Morrissey, who you would expect to play that role, played most of the season with Tucker Pullman, who played last season mostly in the AHL. Uh, it was a it was a tough tough season for him. Morrissey struggled at times. Pionk became the guy, and all the things that we sort of were worried about: uh, his ability to challenge at the blue line, his zone entry prevention numbers, his, his time in his own zone. Well, it turns out um, his lateral movement, his ability to track those plays for Winnipeg, has been excellent. 
like absolutely excellent. And I, I wrote him off as a third pairing defenseman who might help on the power play, who probably would help on the power play, but a third pairing defenseman to be sure. He held his own in a top four capacity. And a lot of that was actually that that supposed weakness turning out to be a big strength for him. Winnipeg challenged the blue line very well this season. It was probably the one defensive thing that they did very well this season. And, and Pionk was a was a surprisingly large component of that. I had to I sort of had to write a mea culpa at one point during the season saying, hey guys, like, you know, based on what I sold you as a writer and what this guy actually is, I'm willing to believe that he's he's a lot better. There's a big difference there. Those are always weird articles to write. We had to do, we had to do a lot of that with Val Nachushkin this year. Yeah. yeah, there was no faith there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I, I was, I was going to say there's, there's, there's many different opinions on Val Nachushkin in, in the world, but I, I also saw a dog in the background. I, is this terrible manners if I ask who, who, who that was? And you know, I'll concede the Fox argument if, uh, <laughs> if that dog some screen time. Rex, come here. I don't have any food, and he's lying do down. Dog? Let's see. We can we can do dog cam. That's my dog, Rexar. Rexar. He's a oh, big, okay. big fat lazy boy for the most part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point where he doesn't even want to turn around. Yeah, like acknowledges huh? snooze all day. I don't have any food. He doesn't care about me. He'll only do stuff for food. Uh, thanks for accommodating. <laughs> anyway, I interrupted. I, I'm, I'm glad I did it, though. No, a dog cam is always worth it for yeah. sure. We we regularly interrupt the show because Rex makes appearances. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, I guess sticking with kind of the Winnipeg theme here, and this is just my own findings, but is there anything to the collection of fins you guys are trying to get over the the past <laughs> couple of years? Um, I like the angle. I, I've had great experiences in Finland. I, I, I fell in love with that country during the Global Series uh, two years ago. I was able to explore it a little bit. Uh, I feel like I know some of the Finnish guys on the, on the Jets team uh, a, a little bit extra well because I actually know a little bit about their hometowns now. It's, it's a r- really great connection. And it goes as far back as Timo Solani in the 90s and even further back into the WHA days of the Winnipeg Jets as well. There's a large... There's just this long-standing connection for whatever reason. And um, if you ask the scouts, they say, no, I mean, obviously we're just, we have a certain amount of players in a range. And if we get a player that we like, we take them. There's nothing, you know, it doesn't matter what his passport says. I still like the trend. I still like the trend. It's fun. Finns win. It is something to celebrate. And, and there's just so much in common between Winnipeg and your average Finnish city in my mind that it's, it's great to have them here cold desolate and nothing to do or what <laughs> Patrick Line has basically said those words so I'm not necessarily <laughs> how am I going to argue but I absolutely I love this city and I love that you can drive half an hour and be in the Canadian Shield or have a lake access or have prairie access and um, there's cottage country not too far from Winnipeg that looks so much like Tampere or Tempere where, where Patrick Line and, and some others are from that the the visuals of the rock and the granite and the forests and all that sort of stuff are is the same too. And yeah, it gets dark and cold in the winter. We don't have to tell everybody about that. <laughs> <laughs> but those three months in the summer where it's nice are very nice. It's gorgeous right now. Let me tell you what. Yeah, I I greatly enjoyed my time there last year. I spent uh, ten days in August in Winnipeg last summer, and it was a wonderful time. Gold eyes games, great time. Great way to spend the afternoon. Absolutely, yeah. well done. 
It was, that was awesome. It was got the proper Winnipeg experience, apparently. Yeah, we even got rained on at some like festival thing that we were going to where people were playing really, really large games. It was awesome. Amazing. We have like, because we, we all hibernate during the winter, there's kind of, there's a weekend in June that is, is our, our jazz fest right through about September long. We have about seven festivals a day, every day during those warm temperate months. Uh, so I can't even begin to guess at the one that you were at just because there are too many, but I'm glad that you experienced it. That's the real way to have spent your Winnipeg time. It was cool. It was cool. And I was going to get my first uh, winter experience because the abs were headed to Winnipeg the week after the shutdown. And I was all set to go. I was going to spend, I was going to spend another week and a half in Winnipeg and not to be, I guess. Well, in some future version of the, of the world where these things exist again, uh, you let me know and we'll make you an itinerary, sir. It'll be awesome. It's definitely going to be happening. I know too many people in Winnipeg at this point to just be like, can't ever go there again. <laughs> well, the question came from Luke, right? Luke, the Winnipegger. Hi. Like, so you have at least one dedicated person and you, you say you have many more, which is awesome. We're good. Yeah. I mean, well, the fiance lives there now. So got to, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to, we're turning her, we're turning her into a, a Colorado transplant though. Oh, I see. So. I see. I see. The borders, the borders. But you'll take you'll take Winnipeggers, right? It just doesn't go the other way right now. We don't we don't we don't allow Americans in. Correct. I think the rule. Trust me, I know all too well. <laughs> I would have I would have spent the shutdown in Winnipeg. Honestly, I would have been there, but can't cross the border. Your poor heart. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> it's a mess. It's you know, I it blows my mind. They uh, I can't cross the border to to see. Uh, my future wife and the Blue Jays can't play home games in Toronto, but ho- American hockey writers can go to these cities to cover hockey. Yeah, so. I've seen some photos of the two-week quarantine that they're starting. That does not sound like the the most luxurious coverage situation, um, to be sure. So, since since we're sort of just accidentally falling into this, how do you feel about the the blackout? No uh, media allowed inside the NHL bubble at all. Yeah, well, three members of the media will be allowed, and media in quotes because it, it will be they will officially be termed NHL staff, right? And so there'll be three NHL.com writers, and you know I'm I'm sure that they'll do great work, but they won't do impartial, independent work, and there they're going to be some some guidelines for for what they're able to to do and things that they must follow. I don't think I read a great thread from Sean Shapiro, the athletic writer in Dallas, who um, outlined all the things you can and cannot say. You can't say concussion unless the team leads with it. You can't say fight, you can, like, all these sorts of things. So if you take that attitude and cover an interesting bubble situation with COVID-19, I mean, that certainly leads to some some questions of impartiality and how it gets handled. Um, so so there's that. I mean, I, I don't think that you can argue that the bubble will be covered as well as it could have been. Uh, and then it'll just be up to those writers who are kept outside of it to do their best and use their sources and work their phones and do all the things that you can possibly do uh, to offer the best coverage that you can, uh, even though you're not necessarily going to be in the room or, or any of those things that those ac- those other staff have access to. Are you worried about us getting uh, future access to the locker room? How much of a concern is that for you, that that those days are over for, forever? I don't believe that they're over forever, no. I, I, I do think that the NHL... Uh, 
the sense that I've gotten, and you know, I'm only a few years into this and I don't have the context of decades or something like some of the say PWHA higher ups would, would have, but the sense <laughs> that I get is that the NHL would like to kind of control and, uh, and curate its message as, as well and thoroughly as it can, just to be sure of what it's, what it's presenting out there. And there may be other situations where, but I, I'm just speculating and that's not even fair, but I feel like there mm-hmm. might be situations where they continue to sort of like claw back or assert themselves or try to control the message. I don't think that that's good. And I, I think in the long run that that does a disservice when you sort of cut out more diverse and more objective voices from, from that sort of coverage. Do I think that we won't be allowed in rooms? No, I, I do think that there is a normal world coming back to us, at least, at least in that regard at some point when things, uh, you know, ideally get better. I can, I can tell you how many stories would not have been possible that we've shared on the hundreds of episodes of this podcast over the years that would just wouldn't have existed if we wouldn't have been allowed into locker rooms. And to be honest, like even covering the scrimmages and the practices and all the stuff now from a distance where everybody has the same exact content you're, you're seeing, you're seeing what's happening is that all of the content is starting to look kind of similar. We're all writing because we all get the same guys on the same days with the same quotes. We all end up naturally kind of finding the same angles and saying, well, that's the story of the day. And all of the coverage just sort of blends into one big mishmash of one thing. And it's hard to, it's hard to stand out. It's hard to be different in a world where everybody has, the same exact stuff all the time. So yeah, it takes I have more work to lean into that thing, to your voice, to your analysis, to whatever it yeah. is that makes you distinct. Yeah. To be sure. It's, well, it's tougher. When you're, when you're not working in quarantine, of course, you can always get on to the virtual golf links with WGT golf, our new gaming sponsor. perfect. It's just my standard perfect segue right there. Go to dnvrgolf.com to download. And once you do download the game, search for DNVR2 to join the DNVR clubhouse and participate in our weekly tournaments where you can play courses like Bethpage Black, St. Andrews, Bandon Dunes, and many other true to life ones. There are tons of different games modes closest to the whole stroke play match play you can even play on the top golf closest to the pin game I, that's not the correct name of it but i can't remember the correct name of closest it to so, the hole there you go i was, that's I was this weekend's tournament by the way there you go closest to the hole the dnvr golf open i believe is this weekend's tournament <clears> so yep. should be going live later tonight jump on it yeah. Try and score better than I can because if you're not outscoring me, you're not winning. That's just I'm, uh, I'm gonna smoke you this week, Rudo. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Yeah, my goal I, I is felt, my, I felt my, pretty close to a decent round last week, man. I yeah. felt pretty close. I got I got did not finish because mine crashed and I forgot to restart it. <laughs> okay, but well this week I'm, I'm kicking your ass. Man. That's one in the Rudo column yeah. for sure. That's all I hear is the W. Yeah, uh, fair enough. <laughs> Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast, Free Skate Friday. It is a Friday, so we like to end the show by playing a little bit of a game today. Uh, if y'all are game, we have a, a little quiz set up here called Abs or Jets. And I'm going to ask y'all a question about the franchise's history, more or less. And y'all have to tell me whether the Abs or the Jets is the correct answer here. Uh, if you guys are ready to play, the first question is, and all right, to be clear, let me set some ground rules first. 
For historical questions, this only includes the current team. So for the Avs, it does not include Quebec. For the Jets, it does not include Atlanta. It's just since they became who they are now. And no Jets 1.0? No Jets 1.0. Current no team. WHA Jets. None of that. Unless right. I'm asking you a question about Arizona, then maybe. But I, I just want to put this on record. I'm extremely nervous for this. You know, I, you know, I, I market myself as you know somebody with a heavy analysis, uh, with uh, you know some reasoning and all that sort of stuff. But trivia is one of my most decided. I am, I am being vulnerable right now, and I just want the, the world to acknowledge that right now as we kick this off. For the record, I was also not supposed to participate in this because our third member of Freescape Fridays, Evan Rowell, uh, called in sick today. So I'm having to take his spot in this. And I've heard you're <laughs> extremely good. This is this is this is terrifying. He has some pulls. He has some pulls sometimes. <laughs> some there are days when you get into the zone, you know how it is. <laughs> okay, Avs or Jets? Which team has the higher goals for per game in their history? And if you get if you can get an actual number, you'll get insane bonus points. But there's no way you will. I'm gonna say the Avalanche too. Yeah, sixteen seventeen wasn't enough on its own to drag that down. <laughs> I'm also going to say the Avs. The Avs do have more goals for per game with 2.91. The Jets are at 2.89. So very, very close. That's close. Sixteen seventeen almost did it. Yeah, nearly. Nearly took them down, but not quite. Question number two. Most power play goals in a season by a single player. Jets. Avalanche. The correct answer is the Winnipeg Jets. Patrick Laine had uh, 20. Joe Sackett had that? 19 of course back in the day. Yep. yep. <laughs> Just makes sense, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, okay. Next question. We'll go away from goals and we'll go to the highest save percentage in a season Minimum twenty games by a single goaltender, and uh, that that Patrick Waugh fellow was was a Colorado Avalanche for a reasonable amount of years. It was the night you got to go with Colorado on that front. The the era adjustment just got to, has to favor Waugh on that. Is this era adjusted? This is not era. Or is it just raw save? This okay, is raw. minimum twenty games in a season. Man, well, in 20 games, that leaves the door open for a backup to just come That's in and true. have an awesome year for That's a guy like... Anderson put together some spectacular numbers at times? Um, Yeah, he had he had one good year and one mediocre year, and it won't be him. Okay. He was a Vesna finalist that first year, but that's because that team was terrible. Um, I'm gonna go with Jets on this one, and I'm I I 20 games minimum makes me feel like it's a backup and not one of the starters. Like it's gonna be like a it's gonna be like a Brassois, isn't it? Oh, it could be Brassois last season, but he faded second half. What did he finish with? No, I don't think it was him. What do you got? The correct answer is the Colorado Avalanche. However, really? AJ did guess the correct goaltender for the Jets. Brassois had a nine two five for the highest in Jets history, 20 games minimum. Is, he started like a house on fire last year. Uh, he was incredible. Yeah. That I remember. It was like, okay, come on. Are they just going to continue to fall into goaltenders here? Like, 
after <laughs> after the Pavlik thing, it was like the universe was hooking him up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he fell off towards the end, but I guess he was still the best, all told, by these criteria. Sorry, what's what's the truth? The truth is David Abisher had a 9-3-1 in 21 games back in the day. Glorious. So, you know, when you get to play behind one of the best defenses ever, maybe, <laughs> makes yeah, life was that, a bit easier. Was that in 01? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I knew, it was bad, <laughs> I knew that, that 20 games was the key there. Yep. All right. Damn Question number four. I believe it is tied up two to two right now. As you both got question one correct, and then you traded on power play and uh, and goalies. Oh yeah, yeah. Question yeah. number four: Which team has the better historical power play percentage across their existences? I'm gonna go with Winnipeg on that. Blinded by the last three years. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go sample size, you know, because they've been around for for so so few years total. So that's what I'm betting on. Yeah, I think I'm also gonna go with Winnipeg. The correct answer is the Colorado Avalanche. Really? I I made them tough though. The Avs 18.8 percent historically. The Jets 18.7 percent historically. Couldn't perceive that. Like, come on, (laughs) jeez. I figured I figured the uh, the line A recency bias might might get you guys on that one. <laughs> yeah, it was well, and, and knowing that the Avs the last couple of years have been just so meh. All right, for for a long time they've been meh. How? On the power Why? This is this is like the Edmonton Oilers before this season when they just became spectacular, and you're wondering how Connor McDavid doesn't lead the NHL's best power play. Um, but so what happens in Colorado or do I get to hijack things? I don't know what you're like oh, for time. with, with, uh, <laughs> under, under Bedner, under Bedner specifically, it's that their power plays have always played through the defensemen and their, their goal is to shoot from far Distance. away <laughs> with a lot of traffic in front. Now I'm, I'm not kidding you. All the, all the, all the analytics investments that they've made and all the, everything that they've done into increasing their knowledge base and that's that's what their power play plan has been is to play is to is to shoot from the point and it's sounds it's a little old fashioned is my high, my hot take sounds a little it's, old fashioned it's really really frustrating when you have Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon on each side who are each easy 30 goal guys where you're just like it's maybe even more frustrating when you see McKinnon move further away before he decides to shoot as he travels back to the blue line to yeah. throw a soft wrister on. Net. Oh my but- God. That's soft. Wrist- and like, so the soft wrist shot goes in like four times this year. And that's like a third of his shots on goal. If you look at his heat maps, he's, <laughs> he's got one from the blue line. It's like this, the deep red circle from the blue line, because he McKinnon just, he loves that little wrist shot where he's like, Oh, I'll just place it and we'll take his eyes away. And the goalie won't be able to see it. Sure and scored one of them against uh, Winnipeg this year that was just like that, and it was like cute, but this is reinforcing bad it, behavior. It works just often <laughs> enough for him that you like begrudgingly accept that he keeps <laughs> doing it. <laughs> right, you start to see him do it, and you're like, oh god! And then he scores, and you're like, he's a superstar. <laughs> he gets away with everything. 
And that's right. just how it goes. But anyway, that's yeah. why the power play, at least under Bednar, has been bad. Under Watt, it was actually pretty good. Final question. Jerome McGinley. Yeah, well, that helps. For all the marbles here, which of these two teams this year has more Canadian players with a minimum of 15 games played? I'm not running through both rosters, so I'm just going <laughs> to say Colorado. I feel like Colorado is a good bet. I was trying to. I didn't. My, my the 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 hamster in my brain didn't run his wheel fast enough to get through everybody there. But I feel like it's got to be Colorado too, just because I, I can't I can't say I know the roster, but I don't feel like Winnipeg is is Canada heavy as as a general rule. That's I don't. I'm I really don't think Colorado is either. I like I. There are so many Europeans on both teams. Yeah, some of Winnipeg's impact players are Americans. Yeah, I, I without without going through and like pulling up a tab like sure. secret, not no cheating. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's um, like neither of call. Well, hold on, neither of Colorado's goaltenders. Almost none of their defense. Oh, okay, now we're gonna just run through the whole roster. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you can give me a time limit here. This isn't this isn't Jeopardy. I don't have a, I don't have the 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 sonic timer stressing me out. It I'll feels like you. both teams will be below average. Legally. Yeah, that's that's that I would agree with. I would say that, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. I guess it would depend on rosters, like which configuration of the roster too, because if a bunch of these AHL guys get called up, that adds a bunch of Canadians for Colorado. Like I said, minimum 15 games. Yeah, no, I'm 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 holding the Colorado. I, I can't find enough uh Canadian Winnipeg Jets to make me believe in O Canada. Yeah. There's just so many heroes. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Colorado too, but I don't right. think it's gonna be good. Correct answer is Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg with nine Canadians, Colorado with eight. That's and eight. For Colorado, that included Mark Barbario as well, as the seventh defenseman, kind of. So Colorado was scraping by there, but yeah, neither you, some of those teams you'll see 12, 13, 14, 15 guys yeah. from Canada and these two not not particularly Canadian as far as their roster makeup. Do you have it in front of you? I want to know who the the least games played or the most obscure sounding to you Winnipeg Jet that qualified as Canadian. Uh, I can pull it up. I I knew Gabe Bork cuz he played in Colorado, so mm -hmm. that one wasn't too bad. Um Eakin kind of knew uh, does Eakin count? Does Eakin's eight games count for this though? He played more than eight games total, but he played most of them outside of Winnipeg. That's true. I didn't account I'm for just that. Saying, so I, maybe that I one. Really, so maybe it's a tie. It was a trick question, and they both had eight. Perfect. I'm just <laughs> so fighting nobody, for whatever I can. Nobody wins. Uh, Latestu didn't play enough games, but I did not know that he was Canadian. Hmm. As I was looking through, when in doubt, dude. Same, I guess. Oh, yeah. Like, so this is Winnipeg's problem. They have a bunch of dudes that almost played enough with Eakin, Latestu, and then uh, Little as well because he was hurt all year. Uh, doesn't really count. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I recognize most of the Canadians. I guess Logan Shaw would be the the one that I'm like, huh? Okay, that's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. definitely a mailman's name. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I guess that pretty much is going to wrap up the show for us, though. So, uh, Murat, Murat, I, I, I don't yeah, know. You got to play with your A. So it's, it's a Murat. Murat, the, the yeah. A. Okay, the emphasis is on the A. Got it. Uh, anything you want to plug 
for whatever you're working on, anything else, go for it. Well, I mean, I cover the Winnipeg Jets at The Athletic. So if you're an Athletic subscriber and you need to know about one of Colorado's possible future opponents, I mean, the Winnipeg Jets section of The Athletic would be the place to go for that. Um, and other than that, you can follow me on Twitter at WPGMURAT. It's Winnipeg Murat. I claim to be the only Murat in this city, and no one has ever proved me wrong. It's definitely the only Murat I know. Marat. I, I, I'll get it someday. I promise. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only one I know anywhere. So, you know, it's the way mm. I, I just don't know very many. Super meaningful sample size there. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to well, expand though. I'm going to, I'm going to use what you just said. And like the next hash, the next username is going to be like Canada Marat. Then it's going to be NHL yeah. Marat. And world. <laughs> world. Marat. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. You're on your way. You're on your way. Thank you again for coming on. Much appreciated. But that is it for us today. Hope you all enjoyed the episode for Free Skate Friday. We, of course, will be back again on Monday. But until then, hopefully hockey coming soon.